on both sides of it. If you'll say this to them this morning, God is able. I believe there are some of us in this room that need to hear that. Amen? Because there are some of us that, for whatever the reason, whatever you may be walking through, that you are wrestling and struggling. And today it's important that we be reminded of that. Isn't that right, Jordan? It's exactly right. I know that some of you are disappointed today. There's no, uh, there's, there's no uh, ladders on stage. The older we get, the wiser we get. Isn't that right, John Humphrey? That's right. So uh, anyway, I don't need to, to demonstrate my prowlessness standing on, on uh, ladders for you. I don't need to do that. Just know that I would do it, but I don't have to. That's called wisdom. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, um, let me look. Where's Sandy Jones in this place? Now, I don't usually do this, but we're going to do it today. Sandy Jones? Because I saw you sleeping. See, I, you were nodding. I saw you. Sandy, stand up. Happy birthday to Sandy. Happy birthday to Sandy. Happy birthday, dear Sandy. Happy birthday to you. By the way, she's still 29, been 29 for a long time. I can do that because she's embarrassed me several times throughout my life. And so I still owe her a lot more. And um, not, to, not to forsake anybody's birthday, but Sandy, you're special. We thank you. Um, and we're, we're very... We're gracious that the Lord has blessed us with your presence. Yes. Men's retreat's coming up. Scott wanted me to make sure that you guys know that um, there's a letter that's coming out to you. Women, we're excited about the women's retreat, but it comes after the men's retreat. And so I just want you to know that the men's retreat's going to happen first, and we're going to have an incredible time. And so, but Scott wanted me to let you guys know that that's going on. Uh, Love Week's going to be coming up pretty quickly. That's going to be happening in February. We'll let you know more about that and how you can participate, not only as an individual, but also maybe you're part of your business or whatever, how you can make a difference here in our community as we corporately come together within the city of Fruitland Park. And then I don't know, I, I would hope that you are following along with us in the 31 days of prayer. Today, our emphasis is on our children's ministry, our children's leadership, Christina. Abigail, those who serve in the areas of children's ministry, just our children's ministry environments. Um, if you serve on Wednesday night or if you serve on Sunday mornings or involved in children's ministry in any type, any type of a way, would you stand with me just for a second? Would you do that? Don't be bashful. Come on. Up in the balcony here. Yes. We are so thankful for you and what you do. And we... Um, there are always places of opportunity to love on our kids. You guys can be seated, but we're so thankful for you. But let us know if you are looking for a place of ministry, love kids, love talking to kids about Jesus, uh, love making a difference in their lives. We would love for you to be a part as you serve. But today our focus is on that. And I, I don't know, it's been really good for me to have this. If you don't have this card, maybe there's some, still some more that are left out or you pick it up online on social media. 
Every day there's a different emphasis for these 31 days of January as we focus on prayer. And uh, it's been good for me to have something specifically to pray about, not only for our church family, but for me um, uh, personally. And I've just, I've appreciated that. I've tried to stick with this every day, and it's been very, very helpful. And we've been in this series on prayer, talking about our Father and some of the prayers that Jesus uh, would offer up and some things that we can learn. Obviously, Jesus prayed differently, um, and the people around him noticed that. And so it was the disciples that said, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And over these past several weeks, as, as we've looked at prayer, there's some things that we've learned. We've learned specifically that prayer is really important, Steve, Frank, to our spiritual growth and our relationship with the Lord. Um, that, that, that it's very important for us. We've learned that prayer um, isn't just about getting God to do something for us. God, will you give me this, this, this? Will you do this, 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 this? But it's, some, it's about God doing something inside of us. I don't know if you've picked up on that over the past several weeks. We've talked about that prayer is the re recognition of the sovereignty of God, the power of God, and that, um, that in turn, that when we come to recognize that there's a willingness, there's a surrender, there's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm in because I trust you. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> and, uh, and that we've learned that. We've also learned that prayer leads us toward a realignment of our heart so that our heart, which can be mm, not the best from time to time, that our heart through prayer, through submission to the Lord, recognition of God's presence and his power, that there's, a, there's a, a parallel that happens in our life where all of a sudden our, our heart begins to parallel the heart of God. Well, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. If you'll turn with me to that passage of Scripture, Luke 18, it's in the, uh, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today. And what we're going to see is Jesus as he, as he talks to us about prayer in the context of a parable. And in this parable, we're going to look at really the story about two guys and two prayers that they offer up. One of the guys is a religious guy. The other guy is not a religious guy. One of the guys is a Pharisee. The other guy is a, is a tax collector. And what we're going to see today is we're going to see specifically a prayer that we should never pray. Yet, how many of us often pray this way? And so... Um, before we even begin today, I, I, I just want you guys to know this. I want you guys to know that you've been prayed for this morning. Um, look to the person next to you and just say, I want you to know you've been prayed for. And I say that to you because, number one, I know that you've been prayed for. Number two, because what we're going to talk about is something that may be impactful to all of our lives as we listen, because we're going to hear some things today inside of this passage of Scripture that, make, that might just make us go, hmm, hmm. And so in Luke chapter 18, verse, beginning in verse 9, this is, this is the story. This is the beginning of the story and what Jesus had to say. It says, then Jesus um, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and they scorned everyone else. So up front, Jesus tells us exactly who he's, he's talking about. It was a group of people who were very confident that God was pleased with them, that they were favored uh, among others. There was a group of people that sort of thought that they had it all together and as a result, they... Um, 
of, of, as a result of what they thought, their attitude was that of arrogance and self-righteousness. Now, I'm, I'm, there's none of us in this room that's like this, okay? I'm just looking around. I don't see any self-righteous, arrogant people. But that's who Jesus was speaking to. And so, um, so Jesus is talking to this group of people that thought very highly of themselves, and they didn't think very highly of the other people. And the story is pretty easy to follow, and this is how it, this is how it goes. So two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, make note of that. The other was a despised tax collector, make, make note of that. It's important. So the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank God that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. That's in common day terms. I don't drink, smoke, chew, or hang out with people who do or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So if you're from Sumter County, you understand that saying. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. Okay, so you got the story of the Pharisee and, you know, what he prayed. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. It's interesting to me that he stood at a distance. Why did he stand at a distance? And what was going on in his mind as he stood at a distance? He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And then it says, I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified or being made right before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So you got two guys coming to the temple to pray, two different perspectives. One thought he was good enough while the other knew that he wasn't good enough. One thought he was good because of all of his actions. The other one thought he wasn't good because of his, his actions. As a matter of fact, his actions were what led to his demise. And when we're, we're told at the end that God accepted one and he rejected the other. And when you read the story to begin with, you might say, well, there's things in the Bible that I don't necessarily get, but I sort of get this one right here. I mean, it's easy enough. The Pharisee thought he had it all together. The tax collector didn't think he had it all together at all, but he was, life was a mess. And when you read the story of the two guys, when they prayed, it's easy to say, you know what, I'm so glad I'm not like that Pharisee. I can't believe he was so arrogant. I can't believe that he thought so much about himself. No wonder that God didn't accept his prayer because according to him, he didn't even need God to start off with. He had it all together. Are you with me? You hanging in there? But the tax collector, totally different story. This was a man who struggled, and everybody knew it, and so did he. He cried out to God because he knew that he needed God's help and forgiveness. And so the summary of the story is this. Don't be like the Pharisee. Be like the tax collector. All of us would agree after reading the story that the Pharisee probably isn't on our list of favorites. And so there's a tension. There's a tension here that begins to to develop. Because as we read the story, if you really are honest, it looks like there's a difference between the good guy and the bad guy. On the other hand, how many of us have found ourselves with the same attitude and feelings as the Pharisee and not the tax collector and even prayed like him? Having said that, let's go back and let's read the parable again. And what I want you to do is I want you to try your best this morning, try to forget everything that you know about the Pharisee because there's some 
details that I don't want us to miss and I don't want to bypass today. And I want you to forget the things that you might already know about a Pharisee. And for a moment, let's just give this guy the benefit of the doubt, okay? And with that thought in mind, let's go back and see what he prayed. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed the, he prayed the prayer. I thank God I'm not a sinner like everybody else. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. And I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. Now, from an outsider's perspective looking in, the Pharisee seems to be a person of integrity, right? I mean, doesn't he seem, he would probably be a good father. He's probably a, he's probably a, a, a good spouse, good husband, probably a really good employer, Sounds like a man that when he got home in the afternoon, he would help his wife, not just sit down on the couch and play video games or say, I need a break. But this was the guy that probably helped cook supper, even clean up the dishes, even help around the house, maybe even help the kids with the homework. Maybe this was the guy that when the women got together and they always talked, they always go, I wish my husband was more like your husband. He was probably a leader down at the synagogue. He probably even was a leader in the civic group. I mean, everybody thought an awful lot of him. I mean, this, people love this guy. On the other hand, there was the tax collector, the cheat, the, the con artist, the crook. He was a thief, and he cheated people, and he robbed people. You know the story. Come on. I mean, he, he cheated people, he robbed them, and he had the support of the government to do so. He was a traitor. And he not only took money from people, he cheated them and he turned around and he would buy their friendships by paying for the tabs down at the local tavern. He bribed people. He would take their tax money and he would, he would waste it on the pleasures of this world, expensive business trips, vacation homes, big expensive chariots that he could ride around town in. He funded everything that he did with monies from other people that he had stolen from and the people hated him for it and he knew it. He knew it. So let's just say that I've got these two guys and I've got one standing over here and one over here. I've got the tax collector. I've got the Pharisee and we're, 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 we're just listening to the story. And, and whose prayer do you think that God would listen to today? I mean, it's not a trick question. I mean, just think about it. You got the good guy and the bad guy, right? I mean, who would, the, who would he listen to? The faithful father or the guy who cheated everybody? The guy who was dishonest? And despised or the one that everybody looked up to that seemed to be the star amongst all the people? The Pharisee or the tax collector? Who do you think God would listen to? I mean, it seems logical to me because I'm just pretty simple. It seems logical to me that God would sort of lean into the, the good guy instead of the bad guy. But that isn't what it says in the story, is it? It doesn't say that. Jesus said the good guy really wasn't the good guy, and the bad guy really wasn't the bad guy. From the outside, everybody thought the good guy was good because of everything that he did because of what they saw. The Pharisee thought that the good things that he did justified him, and everybody around him would have agreed. Yet the tax collector knew his life was a mess. Without any help, there wasn't any hope. And when he cried out to God, he acknowledged to God that he was a sinner. And his cry for help and his cry for mercy caught God's attention. And God said, that's what I'm talking about.
I hear you. I hear you. And if that's true, then what was the issue with the Pharisee's prayer? Why was his prayer rejected? I mean, because it wasn't because of his actions or his words, but it was something deeper. It was here. It was his heart. You know, I have to wonder. We just, we gotta, we gotta play this thing out. You know, the Bible says, not every man that will that Christ, Lord, Lord, will enter the gates of heaven, but only he that doeth the will of my Father. I wonder how many people on the inside think that they're good enough because of their actions. And as a result, there's no need for our Heavenly Father. See, it wasn't about the actions, but it was about the condition of his heart. The Pharisee prayed prayed expecting God to listen to him and to approve him based on the things that he did or he didn't do. So the Pharisee thought he was good enough because of of what everybody else saw. But how many of us are are performing? I mean, how many of us are performing for God and how many of us are performing for people? Maybe you've thought that because you read the Bible every day or because you don't say bad words or because you don't get angry that God loves you and he listens to you. But what about the times when you blow it? What about the times when you do get angry? What about the times when you don't treat your spouse or treat your kids or or treat your brothers or sisters like you should be? What happens when you do get upset? What happens when you blow it? Does that mean that God isn't listening to me anymore? Maybe you felt this way. God, because... Because I, because of all the good things that I do, and you can, I mean, you can come up with a list. I don't know what you might put in your list. But because of all the good things that I do, because I go to church, because I volunteer, because I serve, because I teach, because, because I smiled at the clerk yesterday, because I gave a little bit extra in my tip yesterday to the waitress. God, I, I know you're going to listen to me because I'm good. And the implication here is that God's acceptance or his rejection isn't because of me. And we think that God is involved when he's involved or engaged in our lives. It's because of us, because of what we do. But is that really, really true? I mean, does God really love me because of what I do or does he just love me, period? And we not only think that God accepts us because of the good things, but he also rejects us because of the bad things, because of all those things I don't do, because I'm not like. See, I'm not like that dirty, sinful, crooked thief, the tax collector. How many of us think that we've got a seat at the table with God and God listens to us, he tunes his ear to us because maybe we aren't in debt or, or maybe we're part, not part of a specific political party? Or because maybe we've not been through a divorce or because maybe at this moment in time our kids are not struggling. So I'm a little bit better off and God will listen to me because of where I'm at right now in life. I mean, how many of us have people that we, when their names are mentioned, your first thought is, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Come on, guys, you got to get real. This is all up, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? This is true. Maybe it's the music they listen to, adults. Maybe it's the clothes they wear. Maybe it's the color of their hair. Maybe it's the tattoos that they have across their body or the clothes. I don't know. But I'm not like them. 
See, it's just so easy to think that God accepts me or he rejects me because of what I do or I don't do. But is that really what God is looking at? Scripture says that when the tax collector, when he considered his actions, it said he stood, he stood off at a distance. And he dared not even look his, lift his eyes to the heavens. But instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. And he cried out, God, be merciful. Have mercy on me, for I am what? A sinner. Look to the person next to you and just say, I just want you to know I'm a sinner. Now, I know how hard that is for some of you. Now, for others of you, your spouse is sitting next to you and they go, I knew that. But do, when you wake up in the morning, do you, do you recognize the fact that we're sinners? Do you, do you recognize, do you happen to recognize the significance of the fact that we're sinners and that we need, that we need Jesus? What's so awesome about this prayer is that God said, hey, that's it. I hear you. I hear you. But one of the interesting thoughts behind the prayer is that the tax collector used the word merciful, mercy. When he cried out to the Lord, he said, Lord, have mercy on me. Be merciful towards me. And that word mercy is used multiple times in the scripture, but it's used in different ways. One of those forms is the word elos, which means, Lord, have pity on me. In the Greek, elos, which, which means have pity. It means to withhold something that we deserve. To illustrate a little bit later on, Jesus is in a conversation with a blind man, and the blind man said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have elos on me. Have, hell else, have mercy, have pity on me. But that's not the word, that's not the word that's being translated here in our passage. It's a different Greek word, helastrion, which means atonement. It means propitiation. It means to cover. It's a sin offering. It's a covering. And in the story of the, the Pharisee who seemed to do everything right, see, he was the hero in his story. He was the hero. But in the story of the tax collector, God was the hero because the tax collector had nothing to offer. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, it's important to make note. You don't have to turn there. I'll just give you some information. It's really important to note that Moses would go up to Mount Sinai, and there he would meet with God, and God would give him some really important things, the Ten Commandments. He would give, some, give him some other instructions on living, and he would also give him the instructions of the blueprint for what would become the tabernacle. The tabernacle um, would end up being the portable, um, like a portable sanctuary that would symbolize God's presence among the people while they were wandering in the desert and why they would end up making their way towards Jerusalem. There would be a more permanent structure that would be built. But it represented, it represented the, it symbolized the presence of God amongst the people. Maybe there's a picture up here. And inside the tabernacle, it was made up of different points and parts. Um, the outer court, the inner court, then there was what was called um, the holy place and the most holy place. Inside of the most holy place or the holy of holies was what was called the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there were some things inside of that box. It's a box or a chest. Even though it was made by man, it was designed by God specifically. And so inside of that chest or inside of that Ark were several items. And in Hebrews chapter 9, we see a little bit better illustration 
um, or definition, a diagram, a description of what's going on there. In Hebrews chapter 9, I'll say you can turn there if you're good at turning through the Bible and finding passages, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2, but I'll read it to you. It said there were two rooms in the tabernacle, the outer court, the inner court. Then you had the holy place and the most holy place. There were two rooms in the tabernacle on the inside. The first room, in that room, was a lampstand, a table, sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place, okay? Then there was a curtain. Maybe you remember the curtain that was rent. It was torn when Jesus was crucified on the cross. Maybe you remember that. And behind that curtain was a second room that was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in that room was a, a gold, uh, um, and in that, in that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, going back to Raiders of the Lost Ark, you remember the thing that they were searching for. So there was that Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside of that Ark, inside of that chest, was a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. So the Ten Commandments, they were inside of that. Above the ark, on the top of the ark, on the lid of the ark, were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. So on the top was supposedly the place where God's presence, his, where he resided. And um, on the, that lid on top of the ark of the covenant was also known as the mercy seat or the Halasterion, and that was the place where blood would be sprinkled for the atonement of man's sin. So one day a year, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, which is a very holy day inside of the Jewish, uh, Jewish faith, the high priest would go in, and what he would do is he, would, he was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, and he would take a sacrifice, and he would sprinkle that blood as a symbolism. That blood would would be, come from a sacrificed animal. It would be sprinkled on the top for the covering of man's sins, showing that the penalty of sins had been atoned for. Eventually, you may know this, you may remember, Jesus was crucified. He would become the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world um, once and for all. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so... Um, so you see all of this taking place in that blood and once a year, once a year to cover it all so that we could be forgiven. And so when this tax collector cried out, what he was saying was this, Lord, take pity on me. Lord, I need help. I don't have any other place to turn. I need atonement. I need forgiveness of my sins. He wasn't saying, Lord, have pity on me. He was saying, I'm a sinner, and without you, I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing to offer because I'm definitely not the hero in my story. What an incredible prayer. It's the same prayer when we come to recognize who's large and in charge, that God, you're powerful, you're mighty, you're sovereign, not me. And because of that, God, I'm able to trust you and to give my life to you and to surrender to you. See, it's the prayer that we pray when we come to receive Jesus. And there's some of you in this room that maybe have never made a decision to trust Christ because you've never recognized. See, you've always tried to justify yourself by your works because of what you've done. I'm good enough. You're not good enough. Nothing that we do is good. Nothing that we do is good. Our goodness is as filthy, filthy rags. 
But what an incredible prayer. Lord, I need you. I need your covering. See, the tax collector knew something that's very important for us that we cannot miss. But we can miss it if we aren't careful. See, not only does God love us unconditionally, but God also listens to us unconditionally. I want you to think about it from this perspective. Let's just picture in our minds a tax collector when he finishes praying, Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I need you to cover my sins. Uh, Now I want you to picture the tax collector leaving, him heading off, and he goes, let's just follow him throughout the, the rest of the week. And let's say he goes back to living the exact same was same way that he did before he ever came to the temple the last time. He goes back to cheating and to stealing and taking advantage of, other, of others. And at the end of the week, he goes back to the temple again to pray. And this time when he prays, he prays the exact same thing as he did last time. Jesus, I need you. I need you to cover my sins. I am worthless. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a stealer, I'm a cheater, I'm a thief, I'm a robber. Do you think God listens to the tax collector this week? Don't answer me. Because, see, I know you. See, it's logical. No, he's not going to listen. You didn't even try, for goodness sake. You didn't even try to change anything. I mean, there was no, there was no differences in the way that you act and what you're coming back now. I mean, you're still taking advantage of other people. You didn't even try. But wait a minute. Let's change the scenario just a little bit. Let's just say that after he goes, after he leaves the temple, after praying and crying out to the Lord, that he does try. And he doesn't cheat as much. And he doesn't steal as much. And he's only unfaithful to his wife once this week. And he goes back to the temple at the end of the week. Do you think God is going to listen to him more this week than last week because he at least tried, because he didn't sin as much? And we might justify our thoughts by saying, well, at least he tried for goodness sake. But how many of us think that God listens to us or he doesn't listen to us because of our morality, because of our actions, because of what we do or because of what we don't do? But is that true? See, you don't clean up ourselves and come to God, but when we come to God and the Holy Spirit gets involved, it changes our lives and it turns our lives upside down. God's grace and mercy is available to every person who recognizes their sin and is willing to cry out to him. And when we recognize especially that we aren't the hero to the story, but God is. You know this. This is not a secret, people. Sin ruins our lives, doesn't it? Sin ruins our lives. There's no way around it. And it doesn't just ruin your life, but it ruins the lives of other people around you because some of us understand that because we've, been, we've, we've wrestled and we've dealt with the sin and the foolishness because of other people that we love and we care about. How many of us have felt the pains and the hurt because of the sins of other people around us? Absolutely. Sin ruins our relationships as well as our reputations, and there's always the consequences that follow. But I want you to know this, that there's nothing, nothing Nothing that we could ever do or say that would make our Heavenly Father love us any more or any less. Yet how many of us are performing, 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 and we think that God accepts us or He loves us or He listens to us because of our performance, and yet our hearts are far, far from Him. 
When we make our prayer life about our morality, what we're saying, God, look at me. Don't you look at me, God? Look at all the things that I've done. Look at how good I am. I've got this, I've got this covered. Not Jesus. I've got this taken care of. Not Jesus. But God said, mm -mm, no. No. Everything is impossible apart from me. Nothing is impossible apart from me. See, apart from me, you can do nothing. It isn't about what everybody else sees, but it's what I see. And I see, I see, I see your heart. I see your heart. When, when what Jesus said while he was on the cross, it is finished. What he said on the cross, it is finished. We just have to believe it. It's true. You may not believe it. You may struggle to understand it, but it's true. Whether I'm good, whether I'm bad, it's finished. It's not about me getting my act together. It is finished. And there's nothing that we can do to add to what he has already done. It is finished. And because of Jesus, I have the ability to be confident in what my heavenly father does and the fact that he listened to, listens to me and that he loves me. And as a result of that, that is incredible news. We don't have to perform for him. You don't have to perform for anybody else, but he, he loves us. He loves us. Jesus. It was the author who penned the words of amazing grace who would write these specific words. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believed. Believed. There is no better news that we have than the fact that God loves me, not because of me, but in spite of me. This is a message. And there are some of us in this room that needs to hear this today. There are some of us in this room that sit in the place of the Pharisee. And when he prayed, when it was all said and done, Jesus said, ah, you don't get it, do you? But there are some of us in this room that are just like the tax collector. That because of our foolishness and because of our sin, we recognize there's no other place to turn except to Jesus. We're not the hero in the story, people. If it wasn't for Jesus, where would I be? Would you pray with me today? While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I don't know where this sits with you at today, but I tell you what, for me in reading this passage of Scripture and going back over it, I couldn't but think how many times have I been at that place and prayed just like that Pharisee. Oh, my goodness. God, forgive me for my foolishness and my arrogance. How many times do we need to come to our Heavenly Father just like the tax collector, recognizing our sin, recognizing in spite of anything that we do that God not only loves me unconditionally, but He listens to me. 
and that that cry, God have mercy on me, is the cry that needs to come from my lips. Every time I approach my heavenly Father, God have mercy on me, because if it wasn't for you, where would I be? Today, as you spend time with the Lord in this moment, wherever this hits you at, it's a good reminder. There may be some here too it may be at that place that you recognize your sin, but you've ever acknowledged it. You never cried out to God and say, God, will you save me? You can't be saved unless you recognize, number one, you can't be saved unless you recognize that you're a sinner. And number two, what is it that saves us? It's not our abilities and it's not our works, but it's only Jesus and what he did on the cross. That blood that was shed, that Jesus shed on Calvary was, was the covering for our sins once and for all. When Jesus said it was finished, it was finished. And today, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? Right there where you sit today, you have the ability to call out to him, to cry out to him and say, God, just like that tax collector, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus, will you be the hero in my story? I recognize my sin. I recognize what you did on the cross. And right now, I recognize your sovereignty and your power. And because of that, I want to surrender my life to you. And right there where you sit, you have the ability to make that decision the most important decision of your life. If you prayed that this morning to trust Christ, I just I ask that before you leave this place that you would come and you would, you would approach me and let me know because I would love for us to, to have some people to walk alongside of you in this journey of your faith, in your faith journey. Father, I'm, I'm, as we begin to close out, I, I'm just thankful for the passages of Scripture like this that are so, so moving. It just reminds us of how gracious and kind and merciful you truly are. I don't ever want to be like the, the Pharisee. Constantly, maybe I'll be reminded of my deep, desperate need for you. I don't want to live the life of the tax collector, but Father, I pray that I would have his heart. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. And that would constantly be on my lips. We're going to be walking out these doors in a few minutes, and I pray that we would be reminded that we have a hope for the world to hear. And that hope is Jesus. And that word Jesus would be on our lips. And that we would try not try to convert people so that they can be better people. But we would seek to tell people about Jesus and the life change that happens when they come to trust him and to know him and to place their faith in him. As we close out this time, Jesus, would you just have your way. May you continue to be at work in the lives of our people in this place that the world may know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen.